Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast. She Reads Truth creates beautiful, accessible Bible reading plans and resources to help you get into God's Word every day. Each week here on the podcast, we talk about what we're going to read together as a community this week. I'm your host, Amanda Bible-Williams. And I'm your other host, Rachel Myers. And this is week four of our Life of Jesus series. We are loving it. And this week, so good. we are joined by the one and only Lena Abujamra. What a hit. We sure do like her. She is an author, a podcast host, and many more things, which you will discover right in the first couple of minutes of this yes. episode. Lena also Prepare has... yourselves. I know, right? She's amazing. <laughs> Lena has a book that is actually coming out in a couple of weeks, February 7th, called Through the Desert. Definitely worth checking out. Y'all, this episode is fantastic. Let's get right to it. Lena, welcome to the She Read Truth podcast. We are so excited about this. Thanks for joining us. As am I. This is going to be fun. It is going to be fun. I can already tell. We were already like, let's go. Let's hit record because yes. we're already starting to talk about things that we want. When to. the conversation gets good and we're like, wait, 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 nobody say anything else. <laughs> we need to We need to start. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. I want to take just a minute and introduce you to our listeners because this is the first time that we've met. And so I'm wondering if it may be the first time that they're meeting you as well. And I'm particularly fascinated with your bio, as it were, because you do many things, and they're not necessarily related on paper. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us what your trades, right? Yeah, that's right. Tell us what your days look or like, or maybe master of all trades. I'm pretty impressed. Uh huh. Yeah, I, I, yeah, right. I know. The focus on the first half of that saying, but no, you know, I um, professionally, I'm a doctor. I uh, practiced pediatric emergency medicine for years, 16 years or so. And then I transitioned into telehealth. I do now telemedicine. So I see patients. I work for a company and we see patients throughout the United States, both adults and kids. And I still work. And so my mornings, usually I'll spend my biggest portion of my morning seeing patients. But back in 2000, when I was in my fellowship in pediatric ER, I felt God's call to teach the Bible. It came through teaching an adult Sunday school class for women. And it was, it was really an interesting time of life. I mean, I think God has a surprising way of meeting you. And I think at the time, I had just come out of sort of a huge season of, not huge. I mean, for me, it was big. At the time, you know, I had broken off an engagement and my personal life was sort of bad. You know, I thought I was going to marry this guy who ended up marrying somebody else, not the guy I was engaged with someone else. So it was just a lot of drama. But out of that time of brokenness, I started... No, I was invited to teach a Sunday school class, which even the timing in hindsight, I think, why would God have done that? Like I was working on, you know, I was making my way through reading the Bible, trying to understand how God wouldn't provide what I thought I needed. And then I got invited to teach this tiny little Sunday school class. And I was a Christian. I had given my life to Jesus. And long short of the story, I fell in love with teaching the Bible and just figuring out ways to teach people what Scripture was saying in a very practical, you know, just taking the, I think one of the gifts of being an ER doctor, like the way my brain is wired is to take big concepts and simplify them. And so mm -hmm. I loved it. And oh, eventually yeah. that couple of years into that, I felt called to do ministry. I started a ministry eventually called Living with Power Ministries. And then uh, a few years ago, I went through another sort of big crisis of faith and left my church for a reason where there was a lot of toxic spiritual abuse type stuff in Chicago. And I eventually wrote a book about it. But in that season of, again, brokenness, not knowing how this desert road is going to be, God invited me to do work with Syrian refugees. So that expanded our ministry from just like I was a doctor who was teaching the Bible and writing about God to now we have a huge, a lot of what we do is like in terms of the outreach portion of our ministries with Syrian refugees and now the Ukrainian refugees We would, and the Lebanese. We want to help people who are in the greatest need. And we particularly love refugees because of I think they're just 
there's so many things to learn from them and to the hope our message for our ministry is to spread hope to the world and i think who needs hope more than people who yeah. find themselves in a place where they have nothing and we've seen god yeah. move so much bringing revival in those places I am so wow. grateful to hear all of that. <laughs> That's, it. In, That's a, it. in a nutshell, yeah. Well, you know, but guys, I mean, one small thing. I mean, I am single, so that's kind of part of my story. I never married. I mentioned a little bit right off. Uh-huh. So, and a lot of times, I mean, because you're right, you can read the bio, this person bio, and be like, oh my gosh, they do so much. It's crazy. And, you know, something must be wrong with them. I don't know if I'd say, I mean, the bottom line is because I'm single, I have a lot of time that you guys might not have if you're you know, trying to get the kids out the door in the morning. Like most of the people who do telehealth cannot see patients in a structured way like I can. So in fact, God's word tells us that if you're single, you have an ability to be utterly devoted to the things of the Lord. And I think that has served very true in my life to be able to expand mm-hmm. the ministry that God has given me and to find the ability to juggle those things that might sound like, oh my gosh, you're doing so much, but really I have sort of a lot less to do than most people who might have responsibilities to family. That's so helpful to hear. It I love is. that. And also, I know that like the thing that I'm supposed to do right now is like now gracefully transition us into the reading for the week. But I want to stay here for another minute because you said there are so many things to learn from refugees. And oh. can I just ask you, Lena, like what, tell me something that you've learned. Like I would love to like benefit from that mm-hmm. wisdom. Oh my gosh. I mean, joy in the little things. You know, like it's funny. My favorite times when I go, to the Middle East now. We go four times a year, I go do medical trips for a week where we see high volume patients. But then we now have work ongoing where we have clinics that are staffed on the ground and do medications and everything. But my favorite is when we go, I call it clinic on the wild. We just take our meds with us and we just find communities of refugees. It's very national geographic and such. And yeah, these people have been there for 10 years and, and in many ways they have nothing humanly speaking, but they have this cluster of communities that are living together yeah. in an area. And they're so dependent. I mean, in many ways, I find right now the American church is struggling probably with, well, a couple of different themes in the American church that are problematic. Well, one of them is a lack of knowledge of God's word, which brings us in a minute to this, which is why this is so critical. But community is really weak here. And I think, you know, you don't, we always think if I had the perfect circumstances, I'd be able to do community well. And yet here are these people who have nothing and they mm-hmm. do community really well, but they also like they have little, but they're laughing and smiling and like how you think how, and I'm not even talking. I mean, I know in the Lord, we're supposed to have joy, but like appreciating the little things in life that God gives everyone, whether you have a lot or a little, like the sunrise, the sunset, the fields, mm-hmm. the, the little cup of coffee, like slowing down the pace. You see them trusting God, even outside of the context of having a relationship with Jesus, which here we are, we know Jesus, we know the word of God, we know what we're supposed to how we're supposed to trust him. And yet we are still frazzled and worried all the time. And here are people who have nothing, but they look to, again, God, by God's grace, he's introducing them to the son who is essential to come to the father, but they still have this sense of, again, in their minds, God is, if they're, you know, again, I'm not saying they're necessarily worshiping the same God. Honestly, some of them, they've never heard of Jesus. They haven't had the opportunity to put their trust in a savior, but they trust that there is a deity, a God who's going to meet their needs. And so while there is a chronic mm-hmm. sense of how am I going to live, it's not as acutely problematic as we see here. And maybe because some of it is carried by this communal sort of living. And so it's mm-hmm. been interesting, yeah. you know, it's fun. It's been fun to see also how we don't have to give a lot. You can give a little and how much of an impact it makes. So it's been a lot of fun yeah. to go. That's my home country, by the way. I'm Lebanese. That's the, oh, the, okay. the Lebanon oh, is where I work. And 
It's such a beautiful accent. I couldn't place it. Yeah. Okay. I'm really grateful that you took us international just now, Lena, because it helps us remember the important thing about the gospel. If this can't preach in Lebanon, if it can't preach in Ethiopia, if it can't preach in London, if it can't preach, like, it has to preach everywhere the same or it's not gospel, right? And Mm -hmm. so, like, to be able to remember that the story that we are going to read this week is not a story written to girls in Nashville with microphones in front of them, you know, like, it It is. is. It is. And and it is written for— and, and, and. That's right. That's, That's good. Right. And so I think that it's beautiful to think about that context as we go into reading this week. Yeah. It also wakes me up to hear you speak about the physical, medical, and spiritual need that exists around the world. It's so easy to forget. It's right. so easy to forget. And yeah. it wakes me up and it helps me to pay closer attention to these passages that we're going to look at together that, I mean, I just read these 24 hours ago, right? Mm -hmm. But now I think, Lena, you're giving us the gift of of a different perspective to get like, this is, we know that God's Word is a gift, and yet we have to remember that or we do take it for granted. And also just who Jesus is to remember that like, that's what this study is, this reading plan. It's entitled The Life of Jesus. And so what we've done in this study is we're looking at the Synoptic Gospels, which if you all are just joining us for the first time this week, you can go back and listen from the beginning if you'd like after this conversation. But the Synoptic Gospels essentially are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they are the Gospels, they're accounts of Jesus' life and death and resurrection that kind of are similarly structured. They're narratives kind of in the way that you think of narratives, generally chronological, and they just kind of explore the same themes of like, this is Jesus, this is who He is, this is how He lived His life. Whereas John is kind of the outlier. He's like our poet with like, you know, he's using a lot of figurative language. He's really focusing on the divinity of Christ, and he's telling different stories. He's telling his account in a different way. Getting to have like three authors telling the same story three different ways and to three different audiences, it gives us an even more full and I think appropriate view of the true story of Jesus because there are many audiences, you know, and that's just what we talked about. Yeah. Now, after I went and bragged about how they're all generally chronological, we were just right out of the gate here. We start (laughs) with something where we were like, literally had to go to our team this morning and go, wait, is this a typo? But no, it's not a typo. This really is in Matthew 26. Why are we reading it before Matthew 21? Someone help. Yes. So we went to the team, and here's the beauty of our team. They're very smart, and they are researchers. And so it turns out to tell this— They love a good question. They love a question. So much. They're like, great, thanks for asking. We'd love to tell you. So this story, we're trying to tell it chronologically. And chronologically, the story of the anointing at Bethany, scholarship agrees, actually comes before the triumphal entry. So even though in the book of Matthew and the book of Mark, it actually comes later in -hmm. in those books— this event occurs before the triumphal entry. So now, now you know. Everyone. And now, you, if you didn't know, now you know. Also, our new favorite phrase: scholarship agrees. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so like smart. I know it's like above my pay grade, but I'll tell you. I mean, I getting into this like content of this week because you're right. I noticed that too. Yeah, I'm relatively new to She Reads Truth and the format of the books, which I love, by the way. And so, whether it's your first time doing the study or not, and you're listening, but you can get so bogged down with something like that. And I think it's important to like 
pause mm-hmm. for a minute on that because I ended up going on a rabbit trail. And, you know, it's funny, different people in reading scripture have different opinions. You know, we can get bogged down with the less important things like, did it happen yes. before? Is it twice? Is it, and what does this gospel? And now you miss the whole point of this entire week, which by the way, I love that I'm here on the show and I'm so grateful. But like when I got the book and I had heard you get the week before that last, no, it was pitched as the last week. And I thought in my head, praise the Lord. We're going to talk about Gethsemane and the cross. And this is so easy. <laughs> and then I opened nope. this week's and I was Holy like, week. Oh Lord, Sorry. you ever, you ever do your Bible reading and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Da, 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 da. I'll just skip through this passage because it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And lament. And it's like, okay, uh-huh. I'll get to the good part now. And it's like uh-huh. the hardest part of the life of Jesus in that one week yeah. that we're going to discuss this week. Yeah. yeah. It's heavy. There's a real heaviness to this because it really does begin, whether it begins with the anointing or the triumphal entry, we are looking at that final week of Jesus' Mm -hmm. earthly life. And it becomes just like a lot of these just teachings on the coming kingdom and their warnings. They're heavy and serious. I think this is a confusing week. Like Jesus says a lot of stuff where I'm just like, what? What does that mean? I don't yeah. know what that means. And some stuff he says feels very clear. Yeah. And then there are other things where I literally, there's a place, I, we'll get to it at some point, but I, I just wrote in the margin, so many questions. Like, mm-hmm. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> <laughs> Which is an okay thing to write. I agree. And the temptation, mm-hmm. so I've been a Christian a long time. I came to Christ as a child, even in Lebanon. I gave my life. I grew up in the church. And I think, again, you can be, I've caught that, like, in my life, like, and we all do it, like, you can gloss over so much scripture that doesn't make as much sense. Like it's easier to talk about the miracles, right? It's what happened. Oh, the fish did this, did this. And so that's mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. easier. We have our minds wrapped around it. Then you can get to a week like this week where it's like these kind of sermons really is what Jesus teaching, you know, and you can be like, well, let's get to the rest of it, which is the events, the crucifixion, the Gethsemane, yeah. the this, the that. But think about it. We have all week, what is it? Five, six chapters that are Mm -hmm. what Jesus tells his disciples in the last week of his life, knowing he's going to die. Like we're so upside down rather than making this the main thing. And, and so even up until now, I'm not young anymore, I'm midlife. And I think, how have I never contemplated it deeper until you're invited to a week like this, where you're, you've got a community reading through them, wrestling through them. And so I urge whoever's listening, like, don't be like, you know, Hey, there's a harder passage or short, it's doom, 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 the end's coming, move on. Step back and think, you know, sort of a big picture, like this is the last words that Jesus gives us in that week leading to his death, basically. So it must be important. And if it is, then what is he really trying to communicate? Yes. I haven't thought of it that way either, but I love that, Lena, because mm-hmm. I, I think about like one of my favorite passages in scripture is Second Timothy chapter four. And I'm like, these are like Paul's last words mm-hmm. to Timothy before he is martyred. And like, this matters. Like he's imparting all the final mm-hmm. things. But you're right. Like this is the final week of Jesus' life and he's imparting everything to them before he's crucified. Mm-hmm. That puts a new lens on this week. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. The Bible ought to change not just our head knowledge, but how we live. And I think there is a lot of that that is going to happen in the reading this week. Yeah. Yeah. And part of what we're wanting to do in this study is to, you know, read these stories about Jesus' life, but also kind of mine them for details of how Jesus lived his life. 
mm-hmm. and how he went about his life, how he interacted with people. And and so there's so much in this week that we could read and spend time on in this conversation. You all, it is just, you're going to have a great time reading this week and scratching your heads and having aha moments and for the purposes of this conversation, where in the world do we want to go? Even on the first day's reading. So here we are. This is day 22 of our reading plan. Lena, what stands out to you in this day that you want us to dig into and talk about a little bit? Yeah, so it's the triumphal entry. So when people hear that, if you have any context of scripture, you think about Jesus coming on a donkey, right? So just to kind of give mm-hmm. a little sketch of what's going to happen. Jesus is coming on a donkey to enter Jerusalem, leading up. This is going to lead up to the events of the last few days of his life and the crucifixion. So again, even with just that, his disciples should know, but he knows that it's coming to that. So everything that happens in this week has deeper symbolism, has salvific, right. you know, salvation related reasons, the prophecies being fulfilled. So even as you read through Matthew 21 and and the coming mm-hmm. of Jesus on a donkey, so we'll, maybe we'll come back in a second to the anointing, which is the first part. But but even in looking at that, now you sort of say, okay, this is going to be a big week. And so I think there's a lot you can understand about Jesus from even that mode of transportation, you know, he didn't take an yeah. Uber, he didn't take a limo, he took a donkey. And so sort of thinking through what is it about Jesus? Why? What's so symbolic about it? And as even you reading through it, like what reference of the Old Testament? So there's something happening in front of your eyes that is very celebrated among the people. And you go from mm-hmm. literally that celebration, people are cheering for Jesus to in a four or five days from now, he's going to be jeered by everybody and put on the cross. All right. So just even yes. that, like up and down. So keep that in mind. Uh-huh. This is why the timing, the way that this is happening. And now everything that's about to happen, though everyone watching should have known because Jesus has been telling them this is going to happen. No one really understands that he is about to be the Passover lamb. Now we are now 2022 Christians. We understand that, but he knows it. He knows yes. it, right? So Jesus knows it. And so everything he's doing is to point to that and to fulfill, whether it's prophecy or instruction. And, and now he's coming in with that knowledge. And so I think he's walking in knowing in six or seven, whatever it is, five, six days, I'm going to be on the cross. And so now, now there's the religious leaders that he's interacting with, the Pharisees, mm-hmm. the Sadducees, which we're going to meet in one of the days later. Then you've got the disciples who are his main core group of people that he's teaching to. And of course, the watching world, which is in the background. And so I think yeah. sort of that framework on day one, as we go through, and like, as an example, the barren fig tree that you'll cover yes. uh, in the reading, like, I've always loved that. Didn't you guys, like, haven't you yes. loved that story in the past? But has it ever made sense to you? No, no, it has not. I right, me either. Like, <laughs> <laughs> not real. I mean, not fully. It's so interesting. And I think I'm like, I read it and I'm like, I think I get this, but it is a little bit weird. So it feels like in this, like you're right, when I've read it all these years, I'm always like, this is so random, like like a hiccup. But then it's kind of an interesting story and you kind of, but you gloss over it. So again, I did dig a little bit into it. And I, again, I'm probably my background of maybe doing different Bible studies. Like, I don't know what your rules are at She Reads Truth, but if you read into it and do some commentary, and I cannot imagine anybody reading the passages of the coming week and not be compelled to Google some things. Biblical research has become so easy now because before we were growing up, we didn't have the Google. So we'd have to like figure out what books to buy, which now you just go on the Google and you're going to find answers. But there is a very specific reason why Jesus has that happen. And it has to do with the bigger picture of judgment, like the fig tree out here. I'll whet their appetites if they're listening. I know you're not supposed to give the, give it away. Like, what is that saying? Give the goat away, the the cow away or 
Anyway, something. whatever. The, yeah, the yeah, secrets yeah. away, the brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like this tree had foliage, right? So when he came up to it, it wasn't a dead tree. It was a tree that had leaves. It was a time of year when you expected it to have fruit. So he comes up to it and there's no fruit. This is critical, right? Because we're going to be going into all of these two, three chapters that are like him judging the Pharisees and the Sadducees for looking religious, but yeah, no fruit of right. faith. And so here's this fig tree. He walks up to it to eat. There's no fruit. He curses it. Why? Because it has appearance of health, but there is no health. It's dead. Yes. And then it comes into the part we like humanly, right? What do we do? We go, oh, but then he says, I tell you, if you have faith and no doubt and move mm-hmm. the mountain and we think... Praise God. Faith is the answer. I need a million bucks by next week because I need this. I need a new car. I need a house. And we make it a name it a claim it passage. We mm-hmm, take out mm-hmm. all the context. We take a verse and say, God said, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer, which I believe is, you can talk about the fruit of prayer and all that. But really, that's not the message of that verse in the, our first day, verses 21 through 22. The message is to contrast this fig tree that has the foliage that is dead, there's no life. But he says now he, right away, the disciples are like, how did the fig tree die so quickly? And he now balances the picture of this dead, no fruit, appearance of righteousness, appearance of health, but there's no life to you need faith if you have faith. Yeah. faith. He goes back to it. it's belief. And so you see what I mean when I say the symbolism of this? It's crazy. It's not about a tree that was just in the way and he was mad at it because it didn't have fruit. Mm-hmm. He was teaching everybody watching and teaching us today that you can look religious, but that mm-hmm. does not mean you have faith and life. I think that's so true, Lena, because as we read these scriptures one after another after another, they begin to give us the fuller context. They begin mm-hmm. to interpret each other, and you go, oh, now I see. Oh, and that's why he tells this story this way. And okay. And as you read, you go, okay, this is nothing about this one verse plucked up and named and claimed, like you said, this is Jesus painting a full picture of something that's very difficult to understand, and he's making it not just understandable to his immediate audience, but he's helping us learn. And there's so many parables. I love that there's like one after another after another. Mm -hmm. I mean, even here we are still in day 22, and that parable of the two sons, it's a short parable, but it's it's Jesus giving us a true picture of the kingdom and what that looks like. Lena, would you read that for us from Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32? Yes, it says, what do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, my son, go work in the vineyard today. He answered, I don't want to. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the man went to the other and said the same thing. I will, sir, he answered, but he didn't go. Which of the two did his father's will? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. But you, when you saw it, didn't even change your minds then and believe him. I mean, it's repent and believe. It's about faith. And it's exactly what we're saying. You can look the part, but it's the ones that were unlikely. So the sign of the true believer was more evident in the tax collectors and the prostitutes than it was in the religious leaders, because it had to do, you know, again, that parable, that way to understand it. it is incredible. Which is a way for us to have a clear understanding of the barren fig tree. Like suddenly like, okay, now I can see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as we keep going into Matthew 22, right at the beginning, that parable of the wedding banquet, that's another Mm -hmm. one that just, I feel like I sat in for a really long time. But can we read that one too? I mean, that's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to do. (laughs) 
Hey friends, interrupting this conversation real quick to let you know about a promo we have going on at the shop right now. Right now at shopshereadstruth.com, if you spend $75 or more, you get a free art print with your purchase. There's no code required. The art print is a beautiful hymn lyric art print. It's from a hymn that's in our Lent study book, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And the lyric is, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Isn't that a beautiful thing to be reminded of, to put that on your wall or gift it to a friend? So head over to the shop. The sale goes on through January 29th while supplies last. That is shopshereadstruth.com. And don't forget, February 9th is the last day to order your Lent study book with standard chipping to ensure that you will get it in your hands by the time the plan starts on February 20th. I hope you'll join us. We are so looking forward to it. Hey, y'all, are you as exhausted as I am from all of the holiday things and all of the busyness on the calendar? Or maybe you aren't busy, but you are weary. I want to remind you of what Jesus tells us in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This year, beginning on February 6th, that is not too long from now, in our brand new study, I Will Give You Rest, We're going to spend two weeks exploring Scripture's invitation to intentionally and regularly embrace rest for the sake of experiencing unhurried space with God. Y'all, rest isn't just a good idea for when we're burnt out or overwhelmed. It is a promise, and it is an invitation. So please plan to join us. You don't want to miss this study called I Will Give You Rest. It begins February 6th. And of course, you know, that means that now is the time to get those physical study books, those digital study books at shopshereadstruth.com. And of course, subscribers, your books are already headed your way. Amanda and I are really looking forward to this study with you. And of course, we can't wait to podcast those two episodes with you as well. We've got some great guests and it'll be a really sweet time. Head to shopshereadstruth.com, get your books, get ready, and let's get back to the show. One of the things I love about all the readings this week is that, you know, we talked in weeks past about how Jesus does this really curious thing where he's kind of pacing how and when people know who he is, right? Mm -hmm. And so he'll perform a miracle and then say, don't tell anyone. Or, you know, and then there are the parables who some have ears to hear and some don't. And so one of the things interesting about this week to me is that he's more clearly aligning himself with the Father Mm -hmm. and as the Son of God. And so like even this, like I know he's quoting Scripture, but to say it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer. And then as he continues... Like there are so many times in this week where there are direct questions that are asked, and for like the first time, he says, "Yes, mm-hmm. I am," mm-hmm. you know, and yes, it's crazy. He's to establishing me. his authority, a hundred percent. That's right. Every I agree, a hundred percent. Jesus has no doubt from day one, from the time he was twelve and he was in the temple, that his right. authority is there. Like it's a fact. You know, people constantly said that about him. But you're right. Now you're coming into this week where it's like there's no question. So moving into day 23 and into 24, those two days, but particularly here, you see him interacting with the Sadducees, with the Pharisees, and he is on point. He's not relying. He is the authority. And he's speaking it with so much clarity, 
and there's not a wasted word. And he takes, mm-hmm. he answers their questions leading up to the end of day 23, where uh-huh. he turns it back on them and then asks them a question about John the Baptist and David, and, and they can't even answer him. And mm-hmm. clearly, right. they're the religious leaders. They don't even answer, whereas everything they ask him, he's pointing to, yes. I am God, really, every without saying the words. And you see it. And so, yeah, the wedding banquet is so interesting because it's a picture of salvation. Exactly that. It's yeah. the kingdom. And who, you know, who is in the kingdom and who's not? It's a parable that he tells and describes three different responses to the gospel, basically, indifference, hostility, and acceptance. And even Mm. as you read it, you kind of have to ask yourself, where are you at in this? And are you properly clothed? One of the confusing, you know, things that you read about too in this wedding clothes, like what does he mean by the wedding clothes? We assume we know because we grew up in the church. We think this is what it means. But what does that look like in real life when you talk about, well, those who came but weren't, like there were some in the wedding, but they weren't wearing the wedding clothes. What does that look like? What is that? Right? Is it good works? Is it kindness to refugees or is it more? And just challenging concepts when you think about it to think, okay, I get that he's judging the religious leaders, but what about, you know, we're also reading it now. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And so much of this is also like for us, where are we in our response to Jesus in the wedding banquet? Are we indifferent? Let's read that. And now it makes, yeah. I want to read this because I want to talk about this more because I love your questions. I have questions. This is one that I was just like, oh my word, I want to talk about this with Lena. So I'll read it starting in verse 1 in chapter 22. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to summon those invited to the banquet, but they didn't want to come. Again, he sent out other servants and said, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went away, one to his own farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged, and he sent out his troops, killed those murderers, and burned down their city. Then he told his servants, The banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go then to where the roads exit the city and invite everyone you find to the banquet. So those servants went out to the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. The wedding banquet was filled with guests. When the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. So he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him up hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Well, that's just a really easy story to oh digest. My goodness. <laughs> so I think that like as you start reading, you're like, yes, yes, yes. Like the kingdom of heaven is inviting and it is like this arms wide open, like y'all come as yeah. we like to say here in Nashville. It is, mm. it is the like, let's go to the people on the roads headed out of the city. But then we also see that the kingdom of heaven is narrow, like the gate is narrow yes. and that it is, there is one way, one truth, one life, right? And to see both of those in contrast, mm-hmm. it's, I love what you were saying about it, Lena. So you're right. It is, I think, first of all, it's a parable. So the parable is meant to illustrate points. Jesus isn't saying this is exactly, this is a story to illustrate concepts. And the biggest concept is an indictment against the religious leaders, right? I mean, at the end of the day, that's sort of, of this invitation. He came to Israel, he invited them, they rejected him. In fact, they crucified him eventually, which we know our sins crucified him. But you like really, it happened through that thread of the story of Israel, the, you know, the people from Abraham on. And so it is an indictment against them. And they hear the indictment. This is why they're so mad. This is why they crucify him. But it's also mm-hmm. part of God's, you know, bigger picture of 
bringing his son to pay the price for all of our sins. So again, mm-hmm. so there's sort of this thing happening where you're, you're understanding the events of that week, but you're also thinking big picture of the necessity for Jesus to go to the cross that wasn't decided the day Jesus was born, but years yeah. before. And so we're moving towards that. But the indictment is against the religious leaders, but it's also now an invitation to us in our day and age to look and say, am I a hostile leader that thinks I have it all together? And so am I showing up thinking I'm there? You know, Yes, I am invited. But if I stood in the judgment as in my own clothes, I would be condemned. But when I take on Christ and He dresses me in His wedding clothes, then I get to be at the banquet. That's why I get to be at the banquet. Yeah. Amen. Praise That's good. The indictment of the religious leaders that you've brought up several times, Alina, that just keeps going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it really is. It a gets theme. angry. I mean, it gets deeper and harder. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it's mm-hmm. uh, yeah. day 24, as an example. Are we right? We're we moving on to day 24. Like, yes. Yeah. To, I think we can. Wow. I mean, I. Uh, it's intense. It is heavy, and it's easy to be yeah. like, okay, I get it. I'm saved. I can move on. Right. I mean, it's easy to like flip the page and say, and remember, those religious leaders thought they were right, they thought they had it. I mean, they were releading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, think about it. They would be like our pastors today. Mm-hmm. They weren't walking going, we are hypocrites. Like, they weren't thinking that. They thought mm-hmm. because they were abiding by the law. And I think, again, this is why I think the Christian faith is relational, is so personal. It is not about where you go to yeah. church. It's not about what version of the Bible right. you read. It's deeper than that. Is there life in me? Is, is the Spirit of God at work in me by faith, through faith in Christ alone? And I think... I think it's the temptation to speed through or to be like, even you go to the question, summarize days reading. What is something that I learned? You know, it's easy to just be superficial about it. Be like, I just, you know, I mean, this isn't as exciting. That was my first take in it. And I feel like when the scripture tells us to meditate, like when we hear about David meditating in scripture and we think about meditating on scripture, I've seen this happen to me in the last 10 days leading up to this podcast now, because I'm focused on these teachings. And incidentally, little footnote, you could be listening and be like, I only have time to read two pages. This is my schedule. You will benefit greatly if even at the beginning of the week, you read them all. Take the extra 15 minutes, 20 minutes. It doesn't take long to read 10 pages because you have more of a thread and now let them sink in. The more I've thought about them this week, the more I've been able to dig deeper to understand them. A quick reading. This is what we think of our quiet time, right? I'm going to read through it. It's just done. And then we're like, oh, I didn't get anything out of it today. But tomorrow's the fish and the feeding yeah. of the 5,000. It'll be so much better, right? Or we go to our favorite devotional then, ignore the Bible. Like, I'll do that sometimes, all transparency. Like, I'll read my little you version thing. And, and then I'll say, oh, I didn't get anything there because we're in. I've read Esther so many times. I'm tempted to skip over it, whatever. <laughs> but the more I've dug into this, this, this is the reading God has us in. Every word of scripture is there for a reason. This is the week before, again, three, four days before the death yeah. of Christ. Now, yeah. if he took the time to spend five chapters talking about hypocrisy, is yes. my outside like my inside? Is my inside like, yes, what is, that's right. am I just a person who knows the word or is it coming from inside? And yeah. I think it changes. This, by the way, this is called the Olivet Discourse in day 24. It's the Olivet Discourse. So when people hear that, it's that talk where he sits down and he speaks to the crowds and particularly to the disciples. And again, is going through this teaching to expose hypocrisy. And so we got to yeah. ask ourselves at the end of today is, am I living sincerely, authentically, or am I a hypocrite? And then of course, leading to the last verses on the widow's gift, which is my nephew, Sam's yes, favorite yes. scripture reading. And a great place to end, by the way, if you're just looking for a quick inspirational you know, that's a really cool lesson there on giving, <laughs> mm-hmm. wasting everything yeah. for Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was so struck by that first 
section of chapter 23, like you said, Lena, I think that every one of us who is a believer with even an audience of one or two or three or however many, I think that this is such a good... Well, just as we live our lives. That's yeah, all I'm saying. That's what you mean. Yes. Yeah, you don't yeah. when I say an audience yep. of one, I'm talking about my toddler, you know, or whatever right. it is, like yep. for Jesus' words to examine us. I mean, will yeah. you read that section? Yeah, this is Matthew 23, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples... The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be seen by others. They enlarge their phylacteries, that's a good word, and lengthen their tassels. They love the place of honor at banquets, the front seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called a rabbi by people. I mean, don't we love that? To Secretly, be greeted in the marketplace? That? I yeah. mean, that's, yes. This is like, I mean, but honestly, like, it's convicting because think about it. Yes, like, it our is. Christian culture in the U.S. highlights people who are big, you know, platforms. You know, yep. you hear about like publishers, they need big platforms. You need people to follow you, best-selling books. And you read this and it's hard not to go, okay, I don't think Jesus really was into celebrity Christians as we no. tend to be. Like we do it. But really, again, personally, because you might go, well, at least I'm not a famous preacher, right? You're reading and going, no, that's them. That's why. See, I mean, you can read it and be like, my pastor and the guy who fell and this guy. We're doing. Yes. But, but really, it's, that's a, right. it's a call again to look, are we majoring in the minors? This is one of the big that's themes right. of this chapter today. Are we focused on outward appearances? You know, is it zeal versus knowledge? Is it, you know, how, what is really at the root of how we live and how we judge. Maybe you are in ministry and you're discouraged if you don't have a lot of followers and big platform. Well, maybe, yeah. maybe the point is to whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And then again, you lead That's to right. the end of that day where we're talking about the widow and her gift that looked like nothing and they all mocked her. And Jesus is really, mm-hmm. every time someone talks about scripture, you're going to be in it. And it's like, she gives everything, even though it's a might. That's the picture of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. You see his word and you worship with everything you have. And that's the key right there, Lena, being a follower of Jesus. Like Amanda just read in verse two, where he's saying like, these leaders that are seated in the seat of Moses, do as they say, do not do as they do, because they're not willing to lift a finger to help you. And so when we are followers of man, we're going to be led astray, right? Mm -hmm. But when we are followers of Jesus, when we're doing the things, like if someone is teaching the Bible, read the Bible with them, like do as what scripture says, follow Jesus. Yeah. And they're responsible, those leaders. Leaders are responsible for how they lead. And also, I mean, verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside Mm. are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That is a word mm-hmm. <laughs> for all of us. Yeah, that's like, right. We all can look the part. Can all be whitewashed tombs. That's right. Yeah. By the way, another thing that you guys bring up in the questions, which I think, what is something you learned or was reminded about Jesus? As we read this, I mean, this whole yes. teaching is the life of Jesus. So I think let's not miss that that's too, right. because because I think also you're hearing, you understand who he is, but also 
you always think about like you learn about people by what they love and what angers them or what breaks their heart. And so there's a couple of observations. One in verse 33, what he calls them snakes, brood of vipers. Like, like we all have yeah. this idea of like meek Jesus. Like, you know, people talk about him when we were growing up, we see the little, I'm old enough to have gone to Sunday school where they had the little, what do you call those sticky things? Uh, flannel graphs. And, and the yes. little lamb. And, and yet Jesus was not afraid to speak the truth. In fact, the entire week That's we right. see a Jesus who is not a people pleaser. He's not trying to be popular. He speaks the truth in love. And, but his words are harsh. I mean, if you go yeah. to someone, go, yes. you're a snake, you know, but he's perfect, right? He's sinless. And so for him to say this, there's a reason. He's not accusing them of something they're not. He's trying to right. wake them up also. But then also you get to verse 37, which is this sad. I remember the first, even years mm-hmm. ago, reading those verses and even without understanding a lot of what the context was, feeling the sadness of Jesus, this is what makes Jesus sad. He's lamenting three days before his crucifixion over the city that has just rejected him and deviated from him and think they have it and they don't. And it is, he's just, there's such a yearning and a pain. He's hurting for his people who need him desperately and cannot see it. And yet also now you balance it with the necessity of him going so that he would indeed have, a, yeah. so that he would save us. So the whole point of this journey is to get to the cross, but there is a deep heaviness here. And I think timely sadness, because it is a state of desperation that you have to get to that place of desperation of saying, man, my only hope is Jesus. And my That's only right. hope is Jesus right. on a cross dying for yeah. my sins. That's yes. right. And I love like that we get these pictures of Jesus. I mean, if we're asking, and I like that you asked this, Lena, what is this teaching us? How is this answering the question, who is Jesus? And and then even asking, like, what breaks his heart? What is important to him? And he has spent a lot of time in this last week of his life calling out the hypocrites, right? But he also, and I appreciated this on the end of day 25, which, of course, he was not speaking at the end of day 25, but, you know, at the end of <laughs> chapter 24, yeah. that faithful service to Christ, we get this moment where he says, who then is a faithful and wise servant mm-hmm. whom his master has put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Yeah, yeah. And even as we end this week, we have that section that many of us have read or learned or seen, like you said, on a flannel graph, but that section, the sheep and the goats, and it's another mm. beautiful mm painting of a picture of this is how to live. Let me help you understand. It's a little bit of a longer section, but it might be worth reading. Would you guys want to read that? Lena, could you read that for us? Starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Hmm. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger or take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Mm. 
Awesome. That's beautiful. This is, I mean, in line with, we started talking about the refugees. I mean, there are people all over the world right now doing faithful, persistent, Christ centered work that is getting no attention. They're not sitting in the yeah. front of the marketplace. Right. They don't even have social media. And I'm telling you guys, yep. it's the heart. It's the heart. It's about doing it with the right motive. We're not doing it to earn salvation. We're doing it out of worship. This has been from day one That's worship. Right. Mary anoints Jesus. The widow gives everything she has. We end it. Who is it? It's the one who worships right. Jesus. It's the works aren't what save them. It's understanding the value of that which is least of these. That's loving God yes. with all your heart and man with all your heart, which is part of the reading that we didn't dwell on, but is in this section of scripture. So good, so convicting. And if this doesn't lead us to worship our Savior, Jesus, I don't know what will. Yeah. Oh. Amen. My goodness. Lena, thank you so much for, I mean, I can't believe our hour is already over just like that. That, that was, was so quick. fast. It's <laughs> awesome. That was thank good. you so much for being a wonderful guest and getting to, I mean, goodness sakes. Thank you. It is so fun to just have a conversation with somebody for the first time and that it to be a conversation about scripture and one where like the energy level is high mm -hmm. and we are digging in. And as you guys Good. can see, there's so much to learn. Mm -hmm. And we can sit yeah. here and read and talk and pray and meditate on the scripture. And and the Lord will teach us. He instructs us. That's what Amen. he does through his word. And also there is always more to learn because this is a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. That each of us Amen. has with Jesus it. and that we as the church have with Jesus. And so it's come on in, y'all. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And y'all listening, you, I mean, especially those of you who have been reading with us for a while or even a couple of years, you probably noticed that we didn't spend a lot of time in this episode talking about the narrative events of this Holy Week. And I bet you can guess that it is a little bit because we are about to enter the season of Lent as a community and as a church, mm. capital C Worldwide Church. And so as we enter that, we're going to be opening the books of First and Second Chronicles, and then in line with the church, we will be again reading about Holy Week and those events. And so we wanted to save a little bit of that for those coming weeks. But I also wanted to just take this opportunity to remind you and invite you to join us for Lent. Yes. That's just in a couple of weeks, and it is such a long study. We're going to be reading First and Second Chronicles together as a community. It's seven weeks, and so it's a great one. It's, this is a great study to pick up a book and have that with you, especially because it's such a good season to be offline. And so if you have the physical book in your hands and you're able to read it without getting online, that's really ideal. So Lent begins February 20th. Anyway, I think that it'll be a great one to have a book for. You guys know you can click a link through to order that book through podcast notes, shereadstruth.com slash podcast, or you can go to shopshereadstruth.com to get that. And that's just your reminder because we love you guys and we're really looking forward to Lent with you. But next week, we have one more week of our Life of Jesus series coming, and we're really looking forward to that. So this week, you just get to be a woman or man in the Word of God every day this week. And until then, until we join you again next Monday, Lena, what do we tell our friends? Keep opening your Bibles. Keep opening your Bibles.